Hello, and welcome to Solid Word Bible Church. On behalf of Pastor J. Curtis Costin, we are delighted that you are joining us and trust that you will be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus was the best thing I've ever done. In his arms, I feel protected. In his arms, never disconnected. In his arms, I feel protected. There is no place I'd rather be. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. What's the best thing I've ever done? Never did. Con-
solid word family. To learn about kids ministry, go to solidword.org slash solid kids. We miss you. Bye. Welcome, Solver Bible Church friends and family. My name is Caleb Costin, and I want to welcome you guys to this week's Youth Sunday. I hope you all are doing well, and that you don't miss your barbers as much as me and my brother do. Have a good Sunday. Hands up, hearts open, wide as the sky. We lift you high. We lift you high. Hands up, hearts open. Wide as we cry, God, we lift your name high. Hands up, hearts open, wide as the sky. We lift you high, we lift you high. Hands up, hearts open. Wide as we cry, God, we lift your name high. Oh, God, we lift you high. We lift you high. Hands up, God, we lift your name high. Oh, God, we lift you high. We lift you high. Hands up, God, we lift your name high. And all the other names fade away. Let all the other names fade away. Until there's only you. Let all the other names fade away. Jesus, take your place. Jesus, take your place. Let all the other names fade away. Let all the other names fade away. Until there's only you. Let all the other names fade away. Jesus, take your place, God. Jesus, take your place. Jesus, take your place. Jesus, take your place. We lift you high. Hands up, God, we lift your name high. Oh, God. God, we lift your name high. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, every high thing must come down. Every stronghold shall be broken. You and the victor's crown. You overcome, you overcome. Every high thing must come down. Every stronghold shall be broken. And you and the victor's crown. You overcome, you overcome.
chapter 10, 17 through 27. And I picked this story because it reminds me of myself uh, when I was kind of coming up in high school as well as, as I work with some of the, the youth here, I kind of can see some of the same tendencies uh, happening in some of the youth. So again, I picked this story because I think it could be very helpful uh, for our church youth as we deal with what does it really mean to be a Christian? Um, and how do you uh, live holy, but not totally trust in your accomplishments and your holy resume, uh, however it may be. And I wanna take advantage of the opportunity we have being online. I'll speak and there'll be a question that comes on the screen. The idea is for you to pause, uh, talk about it, whatever the question, the prompt that may come on the screen is, and press play, continue watching the rest uh, of the sermon. So the first verse, he being the, the rich young ruler, as it's typically called, and we get that title from how this, how this story is told in the other Gospels, kind of piecing things together, where one writer kind of points out that, oh, this guy's young, one writer points out he's rich, one writer points out he's a ruler, you put it together, rich young ruler. So it says, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him, him being Jesus, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So I'll give you your first question here. This one's meant to just kind of be like a softball toss, nothing real too deep. Uh, but just take a moment and just talk with your youth. Uh, what does it mean to be saved? We're answering the question. He's asking, how do you inherit eternal life? Um, and even as you dig deep, deeper into that, you can kind of... Um, for a, a student who may have a better understanding, what, what else can go into it? How does baptism play into receiving eternal life? How does maybe something like suicide play into not having eternal life? If they've got, got that down pack, just even ask some questions. What have you heard from your friends at school about um, how one inherits eternal life? So take a quick moment and talk that amongst yourself. So in short, what happens in the story is the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, asks him how does he get saved. Jesus kind of bursts his bubble on his, his thought process towards salvation. Then he turns to his disciples and lets them know just how hard it is to actually be saved um, and get into heaven. Um, so knowing that, you kind of know this doesn't end well for the rich young ruler. But if you were just reading that, even the first sentence, you could figure that out. Now this first sentence says, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him. So the giveaway there is him running up to Jesus and kneeling before him. So when you look at Mark's gospel, he gives about one, two, three, six different occurrences of someone running up to Jesus and kneeling before him. Two in chapter one, uh, demon-possessed man, man with leprosy. One in chapter three, uh, someone with an unclean spirit. Uh, one in chapter two in chapter five, man amongst the tombs and the woman with the issue of blood. And then another in chapter seven, uh, the Syrophoenician woman. They all have run up to Jesus. They've all knelt before him, but there is also something unclean about them, right? Man has an unclean spirit. Uh, Seer Phoenician says, my daughter has an unclean spirit. Jairus' daughter is dead. He's unclean being around her. The man with leprosy says, hey, can you make me clean? The, the demon situation is kind of self-explanatory, uh, but essentially they have all declared, hey, there is something wrong with us when they come and kneel before Jesus. So Mark has made this chapter just by saying, 
the, that the rich young ruler ran up to Jesus and knelt before him. He's saying, this man is unclean. But again, one big difference is that he doesn't think he is, right? He thinks he's good. Jesus asked him about these commandments. Have you done that? Have you done that? Check, check, yep, I'm good. I'm basically perfect already, Jesus. I just need you to kind of just sign off on it real quick to make it official. Um, and I've felt that attitude in the church amongst church youth, even for myself growing up, right? I didn't listen to explicit music. I was the pastor's kid. Um, not into drugs or anything else, wasn't sneaking out the house for parties or anything like that. So in my head, I'm like, check, check, check. Okay, God, I'm good. Just sign here. We can make it official. And, and so again, as we're talking about shifting your thinking, one, the first shift I want us to think about is shifting your thinking towards yourself. Shift your thinking towards yourself. If you're clean, you don't really need Jesus. And this is, Jesus kind of showing him this, hey man, like you think you're hot stuff, but yet you're running to kneel before me. Essentially, he, he didn't need Jesus to need God. He just wanted information from him to back his own sense of perfection that he had about himself. Um, and one problem could be that in the church, we, we use this sense of perfection as the way to validate our kids, right? Them kneeling before God. They're involved in Usher, they come to Sunday school, they're the first one to answer the questions. We look at these active people, um, the first ones, the volunteers, hey, they're the good ones. They're for sure the saved kids and the bunch. And Jesus is telling us, hey, this is, this is a really bad standard to go by. But it's understandable because often what happens when adults are speaking to the younger, especially if we don't think there's things they can understand about, understand deeper about spiritual things, we tend to just give them rules and commands to follow. Uh, but the truth is that that becomes your idea of Christianity, right? I mean, especially for a younger student, they're around 12 and 13, their brains are still developing or just now kind of wrapping that process up. So if, you, if you're telling them certain things, hey, uh, getting tattoos is a sin, uh, smoking is a sin, things that you may just not want them to do they, they kind of internalize that as this is a sin. And I'm sure a lot of the older saints can attest to that there's things that you were 20, 30, 40 years old where you finally got to the point where you realized, you know what, this actually may not be a sin and this actually may be all right. Some of you may have came to Solid Word and wore pants to church for the first time and you were even nervous doing that just because you were raised under that culture of this is wrong to do. Um, and, and that happens to our kids and we do that. And sometimes it's this faulty way of thinking that oh, I can tell them this now and when they're older, they'll kind of understand it, but it doesn't work that way. And even if it does, it's in, it's in like, say you've been, the kid's been taught, God hates divorce, God hates divorce, God hates um, sexual activity in this, under these particular circumstances. And then you're you're thirty something. You're talking to talking to a guy, and then he mentions his first marriage. And you're like, wait, what? And then he's like, yeah, I've been divorced. And now all of a sudden, at thirty three, you're trying to come to grips with, oh, I, I guess it is all right, or I guess you can be saved and have this particular past. 
And then, Lord, you're growing up and you're reading these Bible stories where these characters are in the Bible are doing things your parents told you couldn't do. And you're trying to figure out, well, are they really saved? Because mom said, I can't do this or I'll go to hell, this, this, and that. And I think sometimes it's just a case of we need to update the conversation. Well, it makes total sense at age 12, 13, you're, you're, you're telling them this to kind of protect them and guide them and lead them on the right way. But the truth is, I, I believe at age 15, 16, 17, 18, we need to start updating that conversation so that they're not just like thrown into the wolves and at 30, 40, they just figuring it out on their own. I, I don't, personally don't believe that's how community and, and love is designed to grow. Um, so one danger to that is often that we, let's use the pants example. If you've been raised that you're supposed to dress a certain way, you often take, you make that, that connection of Christianity is this rule I've been given. A Christian will dress a certain way. So if you're in high school and you're starting to internalize that and you see someone not dressed a certain way, you're gonna think Christian, sinner, because they've become one in one. Even on a, on a, on a, on a rough topic, if you, if you are constantly teaching to be Christian is to be against abortion, well, then you have to understand that your, your child may grow up thinking that, well, that person is for abortion, so they must not be Christian. And we kind of make these connections where if we tie our Christianity to too many things outside the belief in the gospel, right? The gospel touches on these other social issues. But again, we're talking to a 14-year-old. They're just trying to make little connections here and here. And you don't want them looking at someone and seeing something on the outside. And now your student is assuming that person isn't a Christian because of a rule you have in your household that truly is not connected to whether or not they believe Jesus died on the cross for someone. And so the danger you can run into is that your student may realize, hey, I think mom's wrong about this, but they don't tell you and where they're hiding something from you or they're, they're, they're involved in some relationship that you may not find about for 10 years down the road. They, they've got something going on they like to talk to you about, but because the way you have talked about gay people or tattoos or piercings, they're so afraid to bring this up to you. There may be something that they've already decided, yeah, I'm taking this with me to the grave. Mom will never know. Because I can see how she talks around the house about what it means to be Christian and about what, which of my friends I shouldn't be hanging out with that she'll never understand if I try to bring this to her. So the second question is, uh, what are the rules in your house? And so this is for um, you to talk with your student about just, hey, hey, is there anything you feel like I've, I've put on a higher level than it is? Maybe it's the time to update a conversation you had four years ago, and, and maybe it's time to, to reinforce something uh, that you talked about years ago. Or, hey, this is why we believe it. This is a Christian belief. Here's the backup for it. Um, and it may, it may, you may not like it. It may cost you some friends, but this is why we do hold to this particular value. So take some time, answer the second question. What are the rules of your household? So as you think about those household rules, uh, I want to be clear on something. This is not to uh, raise your kids to be defiant against rules. Um, this isn't to support liberal theology or anything like that. Um, so, so just kind of to focus in, really, as for the parent, for you to consider um, to make sure that you're not locking yourself out. 
because of the way you talk about faith and, and maybe even godly things around the household when a child won't talk to you about anything. And for the, the child, for you to make sure that you're avoiding legalism, where you're not doubting people's salvation because of rules you've been raised with in the home. So, so with that, I think it makes um, good time to switch to shifting our thinking towards others. All right, if you look here in verse 20, yeah, 21, after he's, he said, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth, it says, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, verse 22, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, when I read this, uh, it immediately reminded me of um, the kids in my other job, elementary school students. They like to play like a pick the hand game with objects in their hand. You pick one. If you pick the right hand, you win the game, prize, whatever it may be. Uh, but they're not particularly good at this game. They'll have something like this in their hand, and they'll be like, well, which one is it? And you can't fake it, so it's, it's pretty obvious which one it's in. But when you go to pick the right one, they'll pull it back. They'll say, no, 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 no. You're supposed to pick this one. If you pursue, then they'll like put it behind their backs, like, no, 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 like kind of just like play along, go with the game. Um, and we as Christians do this to God as well. We'll be like, God, sanctify me. Uh, God, uh, I want to be more patient. This is the thing. And we kind of bring him some things that it could be. It could be our marriage or uh, you wanting to be married or your job title, something going on at work. And then when he picks the job thing, you're like, oh, don't. Don't you want me to get married? Don't, don't you want to sanctify me through marriage? I'd rather you just play with the game, God. Like, do it this way first. Then we can go to the job. Um, and there's a bunch of things that this could be. Um, it could be family planning. It could be pride. In this guy's case, money. Maybe even just uh, taming the tongue, right? How you speak to other people. Maybe you snap. Maybe you got an attitude whatever it is. There's plenty of things that could be in our, the one thing you lack that we, we kind of bring to God, but truly out the four, we only want him to pick one. And if he doesn't pick that one, we, we kind of get upset. Um, and so for me, I also think of uh, a case where you read a scripture in the Bible and you're not really sure what it could mean. God could be asking you to go this way, the scripture could mean that. And then when you when you have to encounter in life, you feel like you're in a fork in the road. It's like, I don't really know what the Bible says in this decision. I could go this way, I could go this way. Um, and this is a really tough position to be in. This is not the position this guy's in, right? It says in verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions, right? What's happening here is, God saying, go this way. He knows that. He knows exactly what God wants him to do. Sell all he has and give to the poor. But he wants to go this way. And often when we get in this position, we try to act like it's this. And we're like, well, the Bible can be confusing sometimes. When really, it's this. You know what he wants. You just don't like it. And so, and, and so, and so what he says, he says he goes away disheartened by the saying, sorrowful. He's not like, well, forget God or any of these other things. He, he, he gets it and it hurts him. Which is why I think you can say in, in verse 21, it says Jesus looking at him, loved him, right? This, this is an act of love 
to point this out to someone, to say one thing you lack, to let them know, I'm not a good person, you're not a good person. Uh, because it hurts. Everyone, whether they're your Christian friend or non-believer, there's something that they're holding on to that they, want, that they don't want to give up. And especially with Christians, we can even mess up by getting that list that we have in our head from our youth. It's like, we're so caught up in, you need to stop cussing before you work on these other things. And, and, and no, they don't. We may want them to, but even when you look at this case, Jesus, when the young ruler says to Jesus, I've kept all these things from my youth, he knows he hasn't, but Jesus knows those things aren't what's keeping you from me. It's this money that's keeping you. So that's what I'm asking for. So just recognize like, yeah, someone may need to work on these other things, but look at what is actually keeping space between them and God. That's what you need to be talking about, not just what you want to change about their life. So I'm previewing this question three to you here. Uh, what are you focus on? Fo what are you focusing on at home? Because I kind of want you thinking about it before I like actually put uh, give you the break to talk about it. And so I say that because often, um, oftentimes as as parents, we focus on behavior modification. We focus on the um, these things. We focus on the list. We want our kid to act good. Right, which which has some merit, right? In your home as a parent, to your school principal, to the police, those things have merit. But if you're talking about the final outcome, it really doesn't matter. Which is which is tough to come to grips with, and it's easy to say because I don't have to deal with a bunch of angry parents after a service. But the truth is, whether your child dies a virgin and has only watched PG movies their whole life or whether they die on the FBI's most wanted list. If in both cases they died without a love for God and denied the deity of Christ, they're going to the same place. And vice versa, whether they were that virgin who watched PG movies or died on the FBI's most wanted list, if they died with a love for God and trusted the deity of Christ, they're too going to the same place. And as the as time the goody two-shoes, the rich young rulers, we don't want that to be the case. We want our, the good stuff and the rules we've kept to have mattered and that be on our resume and be stocking up our heaven points. But, so I say that not for you to, to think, well, my kid's not a Christian, so I'll let him be a heathen. No, I'm, I'm saying that to, which I'll now present the question again, for you to think about uh, and talk to your child, what is being focused on in the home? Am I putting my hope that, hey, even if they don't like church and don't read the Bible, they act all right and they believe in God. So I'm hoping that their good behavior will get them in. Or are we putting hope in the fact that they have trusted and loved Christ? So take a break. Talk about that real quick. Uh, what's being focused on in the home? All right. And here we will kind of switch gears to... Number three, uh, shift your thinking about the commandments. I don't know if the rest of that's going to get into the, the screen here. So when you look in a little further down the story, um, Peter is with him and he's realizing that, hey, this God told this guy to leave all your stuff behind and follow me. He didn't do it. And so Peter in verse 28, I don't know if he's worried or if he's doing a heat check or whatever, but he, he says to Jesus, like, see, We've left everything and follow you. Like, I don't, I don't know if he's, he's making sure, hey, we're good, right? 
And Jesus says, uh, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left his house or brother or sisters or mother or father, or children or lands for my sake um, and the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold in the rest of his statement. And he's not backing up this rule keeping mindset. It's like, hey, he, he didn't leave his home, but you did, so you're good. The key word there is, the key phrase is there, for my sake, uh, which, which is difficult for the, the child in the church who's the rule keeper. Uh, because I can say for me, uh, I was at school um, um, back in Arkansas. I had friends that did drugs and they were big into ecstasy. I don't know why, but they offered to me a couple times. And I said no every time. But the truth is, it was never Christian-based. I was just, y'all look stupid. I don't want to waste my money. You've lost 40 pounds since getting on ecstasy. You've lost like half your high school education since getting on ecstasy. It was, I wasn't doing it because, oh, my Christianity tells me no. I was just saying no for other reasons. And I think the truth is we, we're that way a lot. We, we, we look at the commandments in the Bible and we say, oh, this lines up with my life and I'm good. But it's not for God's sake. right? You do it, but it's not because God told you to do it. You just happen to realize, oh, I don't get drunk. So cool, I must be keeping that commandment. And God said, look, what matters is what you do for my sake. And so when you, when you look at how you phrase these commandments to him when he, he asked him in verse 19. It says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud on your mother and father. Not strong in order, but here he lists him uh, commandments six, seven, eight, nine, and five. Um, and so what I think the point he's trying to make to him is that with the one thing he lacked was the fact that he was missing commandments one through four, right? You were doing these things, but it wasn't out of a love for God. There was no beginning with loving your God, not putting any before him, getting your rest, not taking his name in vain. You aren't doing this from a place of love for God. You're doing it from a place of rule keeping. And if you're not keeping one through four, it's impossible for you to keep five through 10 because it's, they're all rooted in doing things for God's sake. And so as we look at that, we can even uh, take it a step further and say, when you, we, things that we do should benefit others. You look at uh, what he asked him to do, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. So, hey, you, you say you're keeping these rules, but is it even, is it even benefiting anyone? Like, is it, is it, you're not doing it for my sake or even doing it for anyone else's sake? No, it was all his. And for us, especially the quiet, introverted Christian raised in the church. We can be so easy to keep our rules, not cuss, not get drunk, but I'm going to watch my TV, play the game, read my book, whatever the thing you do, and it doesn't affect anyone else. And God wants us to know that, hey, I saved you for the purpose of helping others, right? Not lighting a lamp just to put it under a bush. You should be doing something with your salvation, right? Um, so, Q4, how is your being a Christian helping anyone else? So when I say that, I'm asking you to think about what is it the thing you're selling? What's the thing you're giving up? What part of your life in that pick a hand are you letting go for the sake of God that will help someone else? Or are you just a Christian sitting at home, sitting at work, sitting in school, minding your own business? 
that tries to be nice to people. So let's keep rolling and talk about how, wrong marker, how we can shift our mind towards salvation. Now, look at this story, verse 23. Very powerful statement here. As he looked around and said to the disciples, uh, children, how difficult, difficult it will be for those who have wealth into the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words and said to him, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Just want to reinforce that. Kids, it is hard to be a Christian. Hard. Not only in the sense of like persecution, but just a simple fact that you, we're asking you to trust and love someone you've never seen, met, may not even be sure if they even exist. <laughs> and then on top of that, uh, what the religion asks you to do, or uh, it goes against everything your, bodily your body naturally wants to do and think. So it's hard to be a Christian. So Jesus, Jesus kind of answers this question, well, how hard? And he says, well, it's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. And there's really, yeah, I guess, three kind of interpretations of this. Uh, one is that there was uh, this gate in Jerusalem where in order to pass through, the rider of the camel had to get off, take unload, um, the camel would crouch down, go through this passageway, and then you'd load up and keep moving. Um, one uh, thought is that there's a translation error that's never been fixed, um, that since um, the word in Hebrew or for rope or Greek, and the language it was written in was for camel was similar to rope, especially since the rope was made out of camel's hair. And he's trying to say, hey, it's harder to put a rope, um, uh, which in the original language looks like camel, uh, rope through an eye of a needle, than it is to enter the kingdom of God. And then there's another interpretation that Jesus is actually um, using just, hey, it's harder, literal, it's harder for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for someone to enter the kingdom of God. Now, when I look at these, um, what I think about is that the first one misses the point, even though it can seem like the most logical. Uh, I'm sure you can find better explanations uh, than, than what I just gave, because the, the first one is possible. It's just difficult. The second two are actually impossible. You can't fit a rope through the eye of a needle. You definitely can't fit a camel through an eye of a needle. And so I personally would lean towards one of the, the latter two interpretations, because when, when you read further down, this is the point he's trying to make, where when he's trying to say how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God, he's not trying to say it's really hard, but you can do it with just a little work, crouch down and get through the gate. He's, he's trying to say it's impossible, verse 27. With man, it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible. And I don't think if if interpretation one was correct, that Peter would have asked them, then who can be saved? Because it would be, oh, yeah, if you, a lot of people can do this. It happens all the time. They do it at that gate right there, right? But for Peter, he's looking at this rich ruler who was probably a Jewish ruler, so they probably all knew this cat. And so he's saying, he's the best of us. He's rich. He's got everything. He can have everything. He's been keeping these commandments from his youth, and you're saying he can't get in? It'd be like if an angel came to us in the middle of service and told us, hey, you all, Pastor Costin's not good enough to get into heaven. Some of us would be like, well, then who can get in? Who can be saved? Because 
this person is the best of us. And Jesus is trying to make the point that with man, it's impossible. So as he's talking to his rich and ruling, gives us commandments, he, he wasn't trying to say, hey, if you just follow a couple more rules, you can you can get saved. He's trying to say, like, it's impossible for you to follow rules to get into heaven. Even if it were, I could pick for anyone one thing off this list and you wouldn't do it. Because without God's intervention, there's something that you don't want to give up. And, and it will leave you disheartened and walking away sorrowful because you love that thing so much that you don't want to let go. So the last thing I want to leave you with is this question, which isn't intended for you to, to pause. It's for you to kind of think on the rest of the week. And that is, what do I need to let go of? And that could be, as doesn't have to be some of the things we put on the board here. It could be as simple as thinking, I need to let go of thinking I've earned my own salvation, that this gift I have was impossible um, outside of God's intervention. So read the story back through a couple times. Work on shifting your thinking towards yourself. No one's good. Loving others, seeing them as like coming to God and giving things over to him just as hard for them as it is for you. Have some mercy. Shift your thinking towards the commandments. Shift your thinking about salvation. And we'll see you next time. You've been listening to a broadcast of Solid Word Bible Church located at 4374 West 52nd Street, Indianapolis, Indiana. And if you made the decision to give your life to Christ, would you please share it with us so we can rejoice with you and also pray for you. Again, thank you for joining us and may God continue to keep you until next time.